0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. So again, if you're a guest with us, we thank you so much for being here, whether you're here in person or we've got quite a few people watching online this morning. Uh, we are just a family of Christ followers. Uh, we found that we're stronger together than we are individually, so we've chosen to link arms and accomplish God's purposes in the earth together, right? Amen. We do, we meet in the community throughout the week uh, in small groups, but we love coming together on Sunday mornings and and worshiping the Lord together corporately. We are just a small expression of the body of Christ. uh, Because we love God, we love people, and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. If you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? To make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. Guys, as I, as I have been saying lately, you know, in our world today, things may seem challenging, but we're not of this world, right? And our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's given us his word, and his word never fails. And so what do we ever have to worry and to fret? He is with us. And with the Word of God, we know that, um, you know, it has the answers to all of our questions and even the doubts we have in this life. And so, guys, it is time for the body of Christ to stand up and to move forward in God's purposes. Amen? Our theme for the remainder of the year, as I have been telling you for the last few weeks, is expect the unexpected. And as I, I said a couple of weeks ago, how many of you know that God rarely does things the way we expect Him to do them? He rarely moves in the time that we expect him to move in, in the way that we say. But the problem is, we have certain expectations. We put expectations on God. So we know what God's going to do. We, but we have, we have certain expectations of how and when he should move and how he should do it. But how many of you know, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Israel had been waiting on a Messiah for a very long time, but Jesus was very unexpected. Because he didn't come the way they thought he would come. He didn't look the way they thought he would look. He didn't talk the way they thought he would talk. He was unexpected. But how many of you know too that God's ways and his timing are always perfect? And so today we're starting this series on Advent and all the blessings that came with the unexpected arrival of Jesus. So, when we talk about Advent, Advent is not, um, is not a holiday that's uh, really commonly celebrated by most of us that, you know, in like the non-denominational church. Um, my kids probably have no idea what Advent is, if I, had to, if I had to guess. We think of Advent and we automatically think Christmas, right? Christmas time when we've had you know, Advent calendars and Advent wreaths and, and all these different kind of things. You know, you've heard of all this stuff. And and yes, that's part of it, but there's actually far more. Advent comes from a Latin word, the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming or arrival. And so for over 1,500 years, Advent has been a four week annual uh, season of celebration that anticipates the coming of Christ. And In that we think of Christmas, but the coming of Christ, Advent has always been celebrated from three different perspectives. One obviously is the coming of Christ in, you know, as a child born of a virgin, born in a manger, right? Which we celebrate at Christmas time. It also celebrates the coming or the receiving of Christ into the heart of the believer. It also celebrates and looks forward, anticipates the second coming of Christ. It brings together the past, the present in the future. Does that make sense? So today, November 28th is the first Sunday of Advent in 2021. And the, the holiday, this holiday today is called Advent Sunday. Very original. Advent Sunday. That's today. It's being celebrated all over the world today. And so while many, uh, you know, the celebration of Advent is is more tradition than anything else, especially in in Protestant denominations and in Orthodox churches and such, I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from. A lot of places that we, as we look at this, a lot of ways that we can grow and we can learn and things that we can meditate on as we show gratitude to the Lord, specifically in this season, but every day in our walk as followers of Christ. So as we move forward in this, in in following with some Advent tradition, um, for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to talk about four gifts of God that came through the coming of Christ. And so the first one we'll talk about today is hope. And then next week we'll talk about joy. The next week we'll talk about love. And the next week we'll talk about peace. This is part of what is celebrated during the four weeks of Advent. So in thinking about hope, how many of you guys would agree that our society, our world seems very short on hope today. Very short on hope. We could certainly use more hope. And I think that, and to me, it's kind of sad because, you know, as believers, we really should get be past the hope part. We should really be at the joy part. You know what I'm saying? Actually, um, Zach walked up to me during service and said, The Lord had put this on his heart. First Thessalonians 5:16. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Guys, that's where we as believers, that's, that's where we should be. That's, that's where we need to get, right? Unfortunately, we've got to go back. We need to talk about hope because there's so many people today that are hopeless. And, and it's so easy for us in our society today to get caught up in this because we, we settle for less than God's best. We find ourselves in a situation or walking through a trial or have an affliction or whatever it may be, and how quickly we get to this place where we go, well, that's just the way it is. Things will never change. Like there's no hope. Hope is on short supply today. However, there is plenty of it out there. We got to take hold of it, and that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. As I get started in that, how have you have heard some of those stories about people being lost at sea? They're, they're always interesting to me. For me, personally, I, I watch movies like Castaway, and I'm like, that is awesome. I would pay to be stranded and survive on a desert island for a certain period of time, probably. Better give me a sat phone and check in on me if you don't hear from me in a couple months. Uh, but I think that sounds awesome. Would love that. Except for Tom Hanks and the abscess tooth part. If Never mind. Anyway. While... I've always had a healthy respect for the ocean and, and a healthy respect for, the, for the, the strength, the power of the oceans. I've never been fearful of it. Some of you know that a couple of years ago, Sean and I went swimming with a, a ton of sharks and uh, scuba diving and things and never been afraid of the ocean, but I, I think we have a very healthy respect of, of the oceans. Um, but there are certainly circumstances that I would not want to find myself in. I told you about being on that ship uh, that one time and walking outside in the middle of the night during a storm and seeing the waves as far as I could see, huge. And I, and I was like, whoa, goodness, I'm going to go back in and lay in my bed. Wowzers, you know. And so that's what we see in these, um, in these stories of people who, who are stranded at sea. And I'm just going to read you a story. Some of you may remember this from 2017. And uh, you can look it up online. But in June 2017, two longtime commercial lobster and crab fishermen, John Aldridge and Anthony Sosinski, set out from the coast of Long Island. As they headed out to sea, 40 miles offshore, at 2:30 a.m., with Sosinski asleep below deck, Aldridge wanted to fill the tanks that would soon store their catch. He was pulling on a handle with all his might when it suddenly snapped sending him sprawling over backwards right off the boat with no life jacket. Make matters worse, the boat was on autopilot. Remember, his buddy is sleeping. And so it just kept cruising. He soon surfaced from under the water and began screaming for help, even though he knew there was no way Anthony would ever hear him. And Anthony did not. John watched the boat go up and over wave after wave, and finally over the crest of the final wave, and then it was gone. Like that, he couldn't see it anymore. He was alone, treading in the Atlantic Ocean without a life vest, thinking that this is the way that he was going to die. Guys, can you imagine? (laughs) If you've ever been in a hopeless situation, this would be what would be considered a hopeless situation. 2.30 in the morning. While John was trying to calm down and quiet his thoughts of certain death and stay afloat, he realized that his boots were actually quite buoyant. And he got an idea. He took one off, emptied it out, plunged it back into the water upside down so that it created an air pocket. It worked. It floated. So John stuck the boots under his arms as flotation devices. At least he could stay afloat. There was a small flicker of hope. John said he thought of his family and the fact that no one anywhere even knew that he was missing except for maybe the two sharks that kept swimming within about 15 feet of him. Fortunately, they did not come any closer. He tried setting goals, beginning with just staying alive till morning. Four hours later, Anthony, the guy back on the boat, wakes up and realizes John is gone. He immediately radioed the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard began its search procedures, even though the Coast Guard commander admitted that he didn't have much hope of finding John in so much open water. The search area was the size of the state of Rhode Island. On the boat, Anthony found the broken handle... And he realized what John must have been doing when he went overboard, which meant he also knew the ocean depth where, where he would have been doing it. So he's able to go back and look at me. He goes, okay, this is where he was dropping it to this depth. They were able to go back and see where that depth was and look at where they had come. John made it alive to morning and tried to keep his hope alive, but the hours kept passing and there was still no sign of help. Finally, he spotted a fishing buoy and was able to reach it and hold on to it. This was a new surge of hope. Shortly after that, he saw a helicopter in the distance, another surge of hope. But he would wave and flail. As he would wave and flail, he realized they were making passes too far away to the west. They couldn't see him. Less than an hour later, a Coast Guard helicopter flew nearby and finally spotted John waving and splashing. They lowered a basket and pulled him up to safety. We've been looking for you for nine hours today, the Coast Guard rescue diver told him. Well, I've been looking for you for 12, John replied. The helicopter pilot said, Man, you are one tough dude. We generally don't find live people, we find bodies. Put that per- first picture real quick. That picture's from the helicopter of the basket coming up with John in it. Next one, there he is back on the boat showing the two, boat, two boots that he used as flotation devices for 12 hours in the water. And the next one it was, a, was a press conference and uh, he's showing how he, how he did that there. Guys, he survived, incredible story, full of hope. I think if it was most of us bobbing up and down in the ocean out there, we would have given up that there was even a chance of survival. But isn't it true that that's kind of how hope works? Hope is that thought in our head that stops in the midst of a situation like that and goes, I wonder if these boots will float turns them upside down and plunges them under the water. You're full of hope on the day. I was thinking, how many of you have been really sick for three, four, five, six days and you finally wake up one morning and you're like, I feel good. For the first time in days, you can breathe and you're like, ah, hope, right? (laughs) Hope would be that woman who's been trying to get pregnant for so long and finally sees that line on the stick, right? Hope would be that person that stops by unexpectedly and blesses you when you're struggling. Hope would be a friend's comforting words that says, it's going to be okay, I'm not going to leave you, All right? Hope swells within us. It's a flicker of hope, that's what hope is. It's that flicker of hope that says, just maybe, or if only. I read a quote this week and it said, hope is the fuel of our faith and our dreams. Hope is the fuel of our faith. We have to keep hope. And guys, we have something to put our hope in. We have someone to put our hope in. And hope is what we celebrate on the first Sunday of Advent. That's what the first Sunday is all about. And as I mentioned, it's not just Christmas. It links the past, present, and future. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in the coming of Jesus when he was born in the manger, as well as his sacrifice at the cross, while also looking forward and anticipating his return when he comes back for us, for his people. So Advent, like Christmas, has become a season marked with busyness and um, and, and really selfishness. But, you know, again, this is where we need to... We need to quiet our hearts and our minds, and we need to focus on the story that's so much bigger than any circumstance that we'll ever face or encounter in this life. And we should be spending time digging into the reality of what it means that God sent his only begotten son into the world to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. And here's the thing, too, I was thinking about, it's, it's not so much a celebration that God fixes things. That's what we like to get to, but it's so much simpler than that. It's simply a celebration that God comes. God responds. He comes to be with us. He is God with us. No matter what happens. And happiness and joy and pain and sorrow, he comes, he makes way. And, and really, it's the way it's always been from the beginning of the book of Genesis, right? We see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God walked freely and openly with them. They had hopeful anticipation every day that he would be there again. And he would walk with them in the garden each and every day. But we know how the story goes. We know that Adam and Eve chose sin instead, right? And thus, separation divided God and and humanity, and the world that we live in today is a result of their decision, right? But ever since, God has been working toward restoration and healing and wholeness for all of mankind. That's what we went through last year. That's the story, right? From cover to cover, we see God making a way. We see him giving. We see him reminding his people of hope that he is still at work on our behalf, and, and guys, we can always know that God is working on behalf of us, on behalf of His people. And so, going back, going back to Genesis again, we see it back early on. We see it back with Abraham and his covenant with Abraham. So, imagine Abraham, as we've talked about before, brothers getting old, right? And God comes and gives him a word and says in Genesis twelve three, He says, "And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed." I can only imagine he thought he was done. Life was about over. And God says, nope, we've got a plan. And so hope begins to swell within him. Remember when Jacob encounters God at, at Bethel. God renews his covenant and he reinforces this hope rooted really in God's faithfulness. And it's in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15. He says, behold, I am with you. Guys, that's hope. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Guys, so even though God repeatedly proves himself faithful, how many of you know that we as human beings tend to be very impatient, right? And that's why we see Israel for a couple, few thousand years are going, is it time, God? How much longer? Throughout the Old Testament, we see people repeating this cycle of, of, of devotion to God and then neglecting God, really. And you know, because of this, The children of Israel experienced wild extremes from war to peace to prosperity to recession, from feast to famine because their devotion to God kept waning. It went up and down like a roller coaster. And we're not much different today, are we? When things were going really well, they tended to forget about God. All of a sudden, things weren't going their way. Things got tough. They're crying out to him, right? But even in the midst of all this, with the children of Israel, we see in the Old Testament this longing to see God fulfill his covenant and fulfill his promises. It was there through all the good times and the bad times. They were longing to see this covenant fulfilled in the promise of a Messiah who would make all things right. And, and I don't believe that it was just a, a distant thought. There were people that were desperately holding on to that hope. They were holding on to that word. And, and it had been ingrained in them. It was a deep-seated hope. And, and I believe it's that hope that, that sustained them and encouraged them through Really, thousands of years, wasn't it? And so, along the road, we meet the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah comes along, and we know that he wrote a lot, and he taught a lot, and he played this, this a really very prominent and public role in, uh, in Israel And he was famous in his day, though he wasn't always popular because he he loved to to speak out, you know, regarding the king or even the general public and say, God doesn't like the way you're treating poor people. Stop it. Or there's an enemy army coming and they're going to conquer you. You know, they, they didn't like the words he gave all the time, right? Through Isaiah, God gave Israel many prophecies and many promises regarding the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And in that way, Isaiah becomes this, this voice of hope to the children of God. So even if you've never read Isaiah, you're probably very familiar with some of the writings from Isaiah because they're very popular during Christmas time. Uh, how many of you know that uh, many of you enjoy Handel's Messiah? Many of, much of Handel's Messiah comes from the book of Isaiah. And here's the interesting thing. Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah, and it was 700 years before Jesus that the Lord's giving him these things. And so here's what it says. I'm going to read you um, Isaiah 717. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You've heard this before. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You all have heard that, right? This is 700 years before Jesus. If you go going down to chapter 9, Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when, the Gal- when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road and runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then a few scriptures later, he tells us more about this great light that the people will see. If you go on down to verse 6, Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I remember seeing this in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? Linus. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government And peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. As imagine this is seven hundred years before Jesus. Imagine living in the ancient world where there was there was no news. Wow, that sounds awesome. Actually, there was no news. There was no newspapers. There was no magazines. There was no social media, and times were not easy. They didn't know what was coming next at any given day, any given time. They would catch word here and there. But suddenly God raises up a prophet among the people. And he speaks those words that we just read. And hope begins to arise within the people. And I, I don't know how much understanding Isaiah had of the words that God was giving him here. Um, and and I, I don't know that he, if he understood God's timeline you know, for, for all that would happen in, in, in the coming Messiah. Isaiah could have very well assumed that it was going to happen during his lifetime, or the Lord may have given him enough foresight to see that you know, it was going to be you know, um, stretched out over generations. But Isaiah, Isaiah speaks these words to Israel, and they were words that were filled with hope. And God's promises fueled them, and the people continued to hope for years and centuries forward. And his vision and his words still give us hope. We still hear them 2,700 years later. At the beginning of the book of Luke, we read about a priest by the name of Zechariah, right? Y'all remember Zechariah and Elizabeth? Elizabeth the parents of John the Baptist, Zechariah would have been very acquainted with these prophecies of Isaiah. As a priest, he probably had a lot of these prophecies memorized, if not all of them. Uh, And so he was very acquainted with this. Now, like I say, these prophecies were written 700 years earlier, but you got Zechariah, this priest, who's holding on to this promise. He's holding on to this hope for the coming Messiah. But we see that it's still a shock to him when God comes along out of the blue and drops this massive hope um, into his heart. And, and, and with that, remembering it's been 700 years since the prophecy of Isaiah. And guys, it's been 400 years since the last known recorded prophecy or word from God. So we, like, they talk about it being the silent years, right? Between Malachi and Matthew. The 400 years went by and we've still found nothing. So 400 years without a known recorded word from the Lord. And hope is still alive. Guys, you do realize how old 400 years is? I mean, the United States is, what, 245 years old this year, I think? I mean, 400 years ago, people were just starting to explore North America. Jamestown was being established. 400 years had gone by, and hope was still alive, we see, in the heart of Zechariah. Suddenly, his angel shows up to him and tells him that he's going to have a son. I'm going to read this to you real quick from Luke chapter 1. Verse 17, it says, It is he, it's talking about his son, um, uh, who would be John the Baptist, will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As I guarantee you, Zachariah knew what this meant. It went off like a bomb within him. And he was very aware that this would be, this was a miraculous event. We also know that Zachariah and Elizabeth were also quite old. They were too old to have kids, right? And so this was a big deal. And we know that during that time, it was, it was, shameful, uh, it was shameful for a woman to not have a child. And this is the situation Elizabeth finds herself in. And, and as, you know, uh, Zachariah being a priest and, and Elizabeth being his wife, I'm sure that they, they, they would have tried and they would have hoped and they would have prayed and all these different things, but yet no child. And so people probably, while he was probably respected as a priest, there was probably a certain stigma and a certain shame that came with that. So Zechariah receives this message from the angel. It comes as a bit of a shock. And and, and we see Zechariah can't get over the part of being too old, right? He says, well, excuse me, Mr. Angel, did you you know how old we are? You know that's not possible, right? So how are you going to do it? The angel made sure that uh, Zechariah, his mouth was shut before he could say any more words of of doubt and unbelief, right? But hope had been planted within Zechariah's heart. And I can only imagine what that was like, um, you know, as Zechariah and Elizabeth realized that they're going to have a child. And they realize that the prophecies of old are being fulfilled through them. And they realize that the Messiah is actually on the way. Wow. Incredible. Again, God is bringing hope and reinforcing to his people that he is with them. And it's easy for us, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about that, it's, it's easy for us in our comfortable society to to look back at this and go, well, that's great for people who lived a couple thousand years ago. They can't possibly understand what I'm going through. They're not having to walk through the situation that I'm walking through. They're not having to stand and fight against cancer. Elizabeth's husband didn't walk out on her and leave her high and dry. They didn't lose their jobs unexpectedly and, and not have money to pay the bills or put food on the table. But guys, the thing is, no matter what kind of problems or struggles we face, no matter what kind of pain we're in, let me encourage you that hope is alive and his name is Jesus. Hope is alive. Even in our deepest pain and even what seems like hopeless circumstances, hope is alive. Hope is alive because God is with us. We have to begin to expect the unexpected. So, In closing, I'm gonna give you three points. How do we find that? How do we find that tiny spark of hope when we're thinking about giving up? When we're on the verge of giving up. And I'm gonna give you, like I say, three things to kind of begin to rekindle the flame of hope in your life and reconnect uh, with God during the season, no matter what circumstance you may be facing. We've got to find hope. Number one, first thing, find hope based on God's word. Find hope based on God's word. Guys, God did not leave us alone and high and dry in this world and expect us to navigate it in our own head knowledge, in what we think is best. He gave us his written word, the word of God, the Bible. And, the, and, and we're told that Jesus is the word, right? And he is here with us in the form of the word. And it is a, the beacon of hope. In the world today, the word of God can penetrate our hearts and our spirits and assure assure us that no matter what situation we are facing, no matter how bleak tomorrow may look, no matter how bad the pain is, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he is our deliverer. As his children, nothing can separate you from him. Listen to this. This is what David wrote in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 verse 7 where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the, and, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night it is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Guys, in one way that that seems pretty, it seems pretty bleak in the natural, but there's so much hope in it. David walked through such tough circumstances, what seemed like hopeless situations, but he always came back to hope. He always came back to hope in God. We never have to be alone. Emmanuel, God with us, means that he will always be there with us. And nothing can take that away. And and we know that the Bible is filled with all kinds of stories uh, uh, and promises that, you know, that can rekindle that that hope within us. And as we, we move through the next four weeks of Advent, as we move into Christmas, I encourage you to dig into the words, into the Word of God and begin to expect the unexpected in your life. Begin to re-examine those areas where you've given up hope. And believe what God's word says because God is with us and, and we can take hope in the fact that we are never alone. He is always working in us and among us. He's not done. So firstly, find hope in God's word. Secondly, find hope based on God's character. as This is the promises of who he is. How many of you remember the woman with the issue of blood in in? Mark chapter five, women with the issue of blood. Many times I think we see this story as a as a as a short uh, great story and illustration on, on healing. And that it is. But I would suggest that this woman is an example that we need to look at. She was a woman of hope. She had a bold hope, really. And another one of these people, we don't even know her name, but I would suggest that she's a woman of faith. Uh, for 12 years, we know that she has this terrible disorder, right? And that she was so desperate, she spent every dime that she had on doctors and treatments. And the Bible tells us that she only got worse day by day. Now, you may have walked through a situation like that, maybe for months or years, and, and you feel like you can relate. But guys, this, this woman was probably considered unclean because of her condition. She was probably shunned by society because of the nature of her health issues. And people couldn't understand what she was going through, and she probably couldn't understand herself, what was happening. But she kept hearing about this Jesus, right? The stories, the miracles, the healings, and hope awakened within her. She had hope of healing, hope of a new life, and it's really the hope that drove her to action, wasn't it? She said, if I can only get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She's saying, if this Jesus is who he says he is, he can heal me. That's hope. So was this bold hope that she embraced, she held on to, and it may seem like a small thing, a small action to us, but she was determined to just get to Jesus and reach out and do what she could and we know that once she did that, once she made that move, it made all the difference in the world in her life. It changed everything. Was it hard? Probably. She was moving her way through a crowd who probably, like I say, had probably shunned her and shamed her. And on top of that, you know, being looked down upon, I, I believe that she was afraid, especially in that moment where Jesus stops the whole He's like, stop everything. Who touched me? <laughs> and she freezes. But she realized she was healed. And she speaks out and says, uh, that was me, right? And the healing and the peace and the freedom that she received from Jesus changed her life, changed everything. And that is our God, God's character. That's who, that's who he is. He was and he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He fulfilled Israel's hope for a Messiah, when he arrived that very first Christmas, he, he, he fulfilled humanity's hope when he declared victory over death on that first Easter. And one day, he's going to return. Fulfilling all hope, completing the work of restoration for all creation. Matthew 28, 20, what was the last words Jesus, Jesus said? They're words of hope, guys. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because God is true to his character, because of who he is, we can always take hope in him. So we've got to find our hope based on God's word. We've got to find our hope based on God's character. And the last thing, we've got to find hope based on God's faithfulness. Guys, actually, Pastor Bob asked it earlier, how has God worked in your life? How has he worked in your family? What are some of those memories you have as you look back and you see the hand of God, you see the power of God, how he's moved in your life. Times when you look back and you have no doubt that he was there and he was working in your midst. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was a long time ago. And how many know, sometimes we see it best when we look back in hindsight. Because a lot of times we're walking through something and we're going, God, where are you? And he seems so far away. And we look back at those times back in our life when we felt that and we're going, oh, wow, he was right there. He was right there the whole time. But even those circumstances, with all those things swirling around us, the presence of God was there. So what does that have to do with hope? What do memories have to do with our life here now? Now, you remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned that gratitude breeds generosity? Gratitude breeds generosity? Well, gratitude also breeds hope. Being thankful fosters hope. Appreciation brings hope. Listen to these words. Uh, Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21. L- look, look at this. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Look at what the, the, the Lexham English Bible says it this way. This I have reminded myself, therefore I will hope. How do you know that sometimes we got to remind ourselves of the hope? This is what he's doing right here. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, (laughs) he's reminding himself of hope. This I recalled in my mind. This I have reminded myself. Therefore, I have hope. In what? Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. You don't have hope. You got to remind yourself of your hope. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, and he understood that there is a hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. We can hope in the future because of what God has done before. What he's done before, he'll do again. What he's done for one, he'll do for you. Right? He's faithful. Jeremiah knew that the people needed hope. He knew that hope is a spark that lights a fire. It grows like a seed. It spreads like a living thing. How do you know that hope can also dwindle and it can wane and hope can die? But as it's nurtured, it can also be revived and it can flourish. We have to choose hope. Focusing on gratitude can renew and grow our hope. We've got to recognize and appreciate the good that God has shown us in the past It can increase our hope for all that he will do in the future. It can foster all the hope we need to walk through the difficult seasons of our lives. And sharing, sharing gratitude, sharing appreciation, sharing hope with others multiplies its effects. We can nurture hope. And it can sustain us through the darkest days as we wait for what God has ahead. Hope is alive. And his name is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. If you're lacking hope, find hope based on God's word. Find hope based on God's character. Find hope based on God's faithfulness. I'm going to leave you with one scripture. You guys know this. I want you to listen to it in the light of this. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. Dig into this, guys. He says, Now may God, the inspiration and the foundation of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit constantly surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. Is that not a blessing? Receive that as a blessing over your life today. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He said that he will never leave you. And that should fill us with a hope that we can't find anywhere else. That's how you celebrate the first week of Advent is remembering the hope that comes through Jesus. Amen? Let's stand up. Let me invite the worship team to come up as we close. Next week we will continue on as we approach Christmas. And we'll continue to look at all the blessings that came with the coming of Of Jesus. Guys, let's just bow our heads across this place for just a moment. Y'all bow your heads with me. First and foremost, if you have not found the hope, named Jesus Christ, then I implore you today to surrender your life to Him. If you're trying to walk this life without Him, you're so lost and alone. But you don't have to be. It's a choice that you make. You've got to recognize that you are utterly bankrupt in your sin. Sin requires payment. It's a payment that we can't, we couldn't pay in a thousand lifetimes. But Jesus did it in His short life here on Earth, and He did it for you, and He did it for me. So you've got to recognize that all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. <laughs> if you can't recognize that, you can't move forward, guys. I think we can all recognize that we're fallible. We've messed it up. We can certainly be selfish and in the flesh sometimes. But you can be forgiven. All you've gotta do is repent. And repent's not like we see in our society today. It's not just saying sorry and continuing on our way. Repentance, it is saying sorry. It is humbling yourself. But it's walking away from that sin, walking away from those things that have ensnared you and choosing not to look back. It's following Jesus, walking away from those things. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to repent. You've got to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the way I've tried to live my life in my own strength, utterly selfish. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin and I choose to follow you. Next, we're told that we believe in our heart. Jesus is who he says he is. That he gave his life for you, and that he raised from the dead. He rose from the dead. And that you declare him to be Lord of your life. That's not just something you say with your mouth. You prove that he's Lord by the way you walk your life from this day forward. It's that repentance thing. It's following him. We declare that he's Lord of our life every day by living in a way that honors and pleases him. Now, we're not saved by works, but once we're saved and we truly surrender to him, we're gonna start producing good fruit. We're gonna start doing better works. We're gonna stop living for ourselves, we're gonna live for him. And once we make him Lord of our life, he becomes our hope and everything that we need. You don't have to worry and you don't have to fret about things that are going on in this world and in this life because you're walking with Jesus. If that's you and you haven't surrendered your life to him today, just bow your heads again for just a moment. If that's you and you would say you know what, I I may have prayed a prayer before but I recognize I'm not living my life. I'm not following Jesus. He's not Lord. I have not given him the wheel of my life. If that's you and you would say I need Jesus today just lift your hand. Do it boldly, guys. Anybody here that would say, I need Jesus today. I need to surrender my heart. I need to surrender my life to him. Anybody? Maybe you're watching online. Whether it's today or tomorrow or next year, there's no time. There's no distance in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is right there right now, and he's tugging. He's drawing on your heart. And he's imploring you to say yes to Jesus. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. He is the hope of this lifetime. the hope of all creation That's you I just encourage you i'm just going to pray a prayer you can pray along with me you can repeat after me you can say to your own words that the important part is that you mean it with all your heart and things should change after this prayer you begin to walk different and talk different you begin to talk to him and you begin to live a life that pleases the father and he will never leave you or forsake you he'll be with you just pray a prayer something like this heavenly father i thank you for jesus I recognize that I am lost and I'm alone without him. I'm utterly bankrupt in my sin, in my shame, but today I lay those things down. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for living a self-centered life that doesn't include you. Today I lay all that stuff down. I surrender the Messiah Jesus you're my hope I believe that you're the son of God I believe that you gave your life for me I believe that you paid my sin debt I believe that you rose from the dead and I want to be with you Jesus be the lord of my life I make you my master and I'll follow you all the days to the end and I thank you that you'll never leave me or forsake me. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will never look back. In Jesus' name, amen. As if you prayed that, you meant it. There is new hope in your life. If you didn't fill out your connection card earlier, that link, is it's on the live stream. We'll put it up on the screen in a minute fill out that card. Even if you already did it, if you gave your life to Christ, rededicate your life, fill out that card. There's a place on there to mark, I gave my life to Christ, or I rededicated my life, or I want to be water baptized. We're going to, actually, I want to invite our prayer partners to come on down. We're going to sing, sing one last chorus. I want our prayer partners, our our pastors, elders, a few of our leaders to come down to the sides. If you have a prayer need of any kind, guys, it doesn't matter how big or how small, it doesn't matter. If you want somebody to stand and agree with you in prayer, come down. Let some, one of these folks do it. Don't, don't, don't don't be afraid. We've all done it. We all we need each other. Come down. Let somebody talk to you and stand with you and pray with you and agree with you. If you gave your life to Christ or rededicated your life, come tell one of them. Let them talk to you. Let them pray with you. Let them give you some direction and some guidance moving forward. Or maybe like me, you were born and raised in the church. You've always been a believer. You love the Lord. But you're finding yourself a little short on hope today. All you gotta do is turn back to him. I'm not saying you've backslidden and gotten way off path. Sometimes we get consumed in a circumstance, or a moment, or an affliction, or whatever it may be. Kind of like Peter, walking on the water, we kind of get our eyes off Jesus and we look at the circumstance. And You just, just need to change your perspective just a little bit again. You need to look back to hope. Put your focus and your gaze on him. If you need hope as we sing this, receive it guys. It's right in front of you, grab hold of it. You want somebody to pray with you, let them pray with you. We need as the church to rise up and hope and step beyond hope into joy as we walk through this life. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.